0: Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. In today's episode, Jeff and I wanted to introduce the topics we'll be working on for the next season, those being mental health, relationships, and friendships. We will be doing several interviews with people who are either personal friends of ours or who work in mental health professions, or both. This recording contains some of our preliminary thoughts and stories. Enjoy the episode.
1: So we want to talk about mental health and relationship and friendship um, as we move forward into the new year. Mm -hmm. And... So, yeah, here you can practice your um, mental health, friendship, and empathy skills right now. Okay. So, um, as much as I love to read,
2: mm-hmm.
1: my eyes have continued to get worse with uh, the blinking and not being able to fully close my eyes, mm-hmm. which is weird. I don't know if we talked about this. Before, but you know, when you think of neuromuscular, you don't think of your eyelids at all. But, right. um, uh, so my eyes are drying out so much, so I can't read. So they've been putting plugs in my eyes and, uh, they keep coming out. So she keeps ordering bigger ones. So now, uh, just yesterday, she ordered, uh, the biggest ones they have. Mm-hmm. And, on the corner of my eye was a tiny white dot this morning Mm
2: -hmm.
1: said, these ones are, are bright white. So, you'll know, you'll see them in, in the corner where your tear ducts are. And yeah, so this one was outside on my cheek. So I think (laughs) I've lost one already less than 24 hours. So, so plugs for your eyes, what do they do? Oh, sorry, sorry. For the tear ducts. Yeah. So, uh any liquid that goes into the eye can't immediately drain out.
2: Okay.
1: Science lesson for you. I didn't know. Tear ducts are connected to your sinus.
0: That I knew.
1: I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh so that's where it typically drains. So mine was just draining dry. Okay. Because the eyes don't blink enough and they don't close fully. So, um okay. So the plugs help hold the moisture in your eyes. Gotcha. So you, yeah, yeah. It's all very interesting. But yeah, I just need to get back to where I can read. Um, I'm trying to read my whole manuscript because okay. I have two chapters I want to add. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, I want to read the whole thing. And I, and I kept trying, but I couldn't read more than 10 minutes. So, okay. okay. So your empathy skills are... Oh, that must be... No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How does that make you feel, Jeff?
1: (laughs) Uh, Tired, so I just close the book and go to sleep. (laughs) Um, Nice. No, yeah, that's a hard thing, because there's definitely frustration going on right now. I mean, NIH (laughs) diagnosed me. Okay. And I knew they were completely wrong. And... Thankfully, I I met with my Philadelphia neurologist three days later, and he said, well, that's completely wrong. I said, I know. (laughs) And I tried to tell the guy that. So um, the good thing is going to NIH did uh, give me some good test results where they saw things that before they were saying, well, we don't see anything. So, So they saw the stuff going on with the body, but only one part. Yeah, But it seemed to... Put a little spark underneath my Philadelphia neurologist because our typical ten minute telemed was forty five minutes.
2: Okay.
1: Um. So yeah, emotionally, I'm just, I'm just, I, I guess the closest I can get is a mildly frustrating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe a little bit more than mild. I mean, it's not. I'm not destroyed over it, but I'm, I'm definitely. Uh, you know. The guys that are leading the trip in Spain, the Push Camino, mm-hmm. uh, we had a meeting yesterday, and uh, the meeting was uh, with a group of about twelve folks on brokenness and pain mm-hmm. and finding joy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh,
2: well, there you go.
1: <laughs> I can talk about that stuff, but um, Justin, who um, folks are going to hear him speaking before this yeah. comes out, I think it was nine years before he got a diagnosis, a set diagnosis. It was a lot of years, at least nine years. It might have been more, but but it was a long, long time. So as much as we think that science has all the answers, neurological issues are just still a challenge. So, So that's why when I say mildly frustrated about this last one, it's like, my expectations are not really high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how is your mom doing? Did you get to talk to her much? Is she being open about how she's feeling and
0: yeah, she she knows pretty well. My family is not super emotionally articulate. They're tough right. Nebraska people, you know, uh, farmers and ranchers, and um, but yeah, I called her on her birthday because I wasn't gonna get to be there, and um, I don't even I don't at this point I don't even know what to ask, you know. Right. Um, she did talk to me the other day about um, she went through all of my dad's clothes and took them to um essentially goodwill. And she even admitted herself like that. It was, you know, putting things in bins wasn't hard going through the clothes wasn't hard, but when she actually went to drop them off and seeing people like pulling them out and like sorting through them, she was like, Mm. that that was really hard. That was harder than she expected. Mm. Um, And I get that. And I wish I was there to help. And at the same time, I'm just proud of her for being able to articulate that and being okay right. with that. And yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just never know when it, when and how it's going to hit you because it could have been sorting mm-hmm. it. It could have right. been the bins. Right. Um, you just know, don't know which way. So when you, when you talk about not knowing what to ask her, You know, the easy question, but helpful is, um, what can I do? What can I ask? What's going to be most helpful for you Mm -hmm. right now uh, as we talk? Yeah. Um, Because at points she won't want to talk and at others, it'll be nice for her to know that you're willing to listen Mm -hmm. um, by asking that kind of question. So.
0: Yeah, and that's that. I don't know. That kind of meta talking is helpful in general. I have someone else that I know who, um, right before Christmas, essentially like left a suicide note and took off. Mm. Yeah, it was really scary. And I don't know. Next time I see her, I I do feel like that question just like. What is, what would be helpful to you right now would be a very good question to ask. Yeah. Um,
1: That's not putting it on her plate and say, take care of yourself. That's just letting her know.
0: Yeah. And sometimes we ask, like, I'm, I'm aware of this in myself where it's like, I want to ask how you are doing so that I can feel better. Mm. So that I can, my fears can be put at ease. Right, and that's that's not necessarily helpful in any no. way, you know. Asking sometimes her, it
1: is because it just works out that you know what the person needs to talk about. But yeah, is also relieving. Yeah, I mean that's why you can feel good about saying those kind of things because sometimes it does work for the person and yeah. it's good for the person. But other yeah. times they can smell it out that this is more about how you're feeling.
0: Yeah, so it can be helpful even to just say like, hey, I realize that I'm feeling anxious about this and it might not be helpful to you to talk about it. But if you are interested, I would love to know how you're doing and know how I can be available to help you and know what would be good for you. Um, So I have another friend who was essentially (coughs) going to become homeless in December And As of January 1st, like, she was being kicked out of the place that she was in, and she has all sorts of mental health issues and financial issues, and she grew up in the foster system, aged out of the foster system. She has no community, no family. She's actually very difficult to be around. So, you know, on one hand, it doesn't surprise me at all that she was getting kicked out, but... I care about her a lot. And there were times in December when I felt like I was panicking over her upcoming homelessness more than she was. Mm. And to a certain extent, she's actually been homeless before. So I guess to her, it's like, well, at least I know how to do it, you know? Yeah. Whereas jumping through all the hoops in order to figure out either government aid or trying to put on a nice shiny face in order to interview well or do whatever that is a lot harder because she hasn't necessarily had great success with that in the past so i don't know i think i just noticed in myself my own panic about her situation and some of that is because if i were in her situation i would be terrified so it like it did end up working out. I felt like I was somewhat helpful to her, but also there is very little that I could do. And I don't know. I have nothing intelligent to say about this. Sorry, I'm just like
1: well, spewing things at you. No, you know you're. I I don't know that we've talked about this before, but I fixed somebody um, in one day.
2: Oh wow!
1: Of all their mental health and um, housing and food and every issue in their life
0: well how did you do that
1: um i was uh, working at the saint francis house in downtown boston Mm
2: -hmm. in
1: january um in a very cold winter and he came in with holes in his shoes and smelly clothes and was so straightforward with me, and I got him a job interview that was pretty much a done deal because it was coming through the ministry. I got him a housing interview that was pretty much a done deal. Uh, he took a shower in the back, picked out new clothes. Um, I mean, everything. He was perfect. And, um, you know, probably gave him a hug goodbye and said, I'm so thrilled to come back and say hi sometime later. And uh when I got to work the next day, um he didn't show up for the interview, he didn't show up for the house, you know. And I'm forgetting some steps here along the way because this is a long time ago. But um, you know, I was devastated. I was like, what? I I did every I fixed this guy in a day. Um and you know, that's when the director of the program sat me down and had a little chat with me. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot that it didn't frustrate me to the point saying you can't help people in this situation. It just gives you more wisdom that I'm not God. <laughs> right.
0: Like, I can't um, fix this for
1: you. Right. You know, um, I've been slapped with that truth a few times that I am not God. I can't make this happen perfectly for this situation or that person or whatever kind of a deal. but. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that will be interesting, whoever we end up talking to. And I think Patrick, who's leading the I'll Push You with Justin, who we've already spoken to, Patrick will be a great person to interview and, and chat with because he was just overpowered on the Camino, that first 500-mile trip he did, pushing Justin um he had a lot of inward quiet time Mm -hmm. um because you know with the rocks and all the stuff and you can't talk over the wheelchair all the time Mm -hmm. and have the conversation and they didn't need because they were you know great friends they didn't need to talk every minute Mm -hmm. um but he had some pretty powerful experiences of examining uh relationships in his life and mental health and and all kinds of things. Something that somebody mentioned yesterday, and I can't remember. I think it's Japanese pottery.
0: Mm. Oh, yes, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't remember what it's called, but it's awesome. So go ahead and talk about it.
1: You know, I remember Raku because I threw pots, and it's not Raku, but it's a word similar to that. They take the broken pots and they glue them back together with gold. Yeah. So you can see all the broken lines. Instead of trying to hide them and glue it perfectly, they, they put the messy bits back together. And I, I, gosh, I hadn't heard of that. And I just thought that was beautiful. I'm finding the actual, like, definition or whatever. But Kinsakori,
0: um, to repair with gold, it's the art of repairing pottery with gold or silver lacquer and understanding that the piece is more beautiful for having been
1: broken. Mm. There you go. Yeah, that's what somebody read yesterday. Something very similar to that when they were talking about it. That, uh, that, yeah, um, as much as we've joked a little bit about me being a seven and a person of joy, and people of joy are not supposed to be drawn to pain or situations of pain and challenge, um, that I'm weird in that way, that I'm a seven that's very much drawn. To that in the world in in people's lives and my own mm-hmm. life not afraid of that but um i th- i think this is a beautiful way that combines joy and pain that mm-hmm. instead of ignoring it um making it a beautiful part of yourself mm-hmm.
0: um yeah i in a very similar way i want to mention that podcast that i shared with you um So the podcasters of Nomad Podcast in um, the UK, they interviewed a woman named Claire Gilbert, and she is a theologian and writer, and she's the founding director of Westminster Abbey Institute. And then she found out that she had cancer, and it was terminal cancer in the blood, and um, in order to deal with this she started writing letters to people to to just verbalize things um and it became like a a big thing like she started writing letters to like hundreds of people and they would write back and things like that and um she ended up publishing the letters they're very raw mm. um but one of the reason why what you said reminded me of this was just because one of the things that she verbalizes is that early on in the diagnosis, um, she just asked God to, to break her, to use this to turn her into a better person, to turn her into the person that God wanted her to be. And when I first heard that, I was kind of blown away just because that's terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. Um, For me to tell God, like, do your worst, because I know that it will make me a better, stronger person, someone who is more capable of displaying your glory. You know, like that is a beautiful, wonderful sentiment. And it's terrifying because I could lose everything. I, you know, it's like i could lose my children i could lose my husband i could end up destitute and dying of hunger somewhere you know like and i don't want that like that yeah. is terrifying to me
2: yeah.
0: um so i admire that prayer and i it it has challenged me to at least be more open to when things come my way just saying like thank you for this and help me to become a deeper, better person through it. And like Mm -hmm. every night at dinner, we, the kids and my husband and I pray um, this, like just super simple prayer. Just thank you, God, for everything. Amen. Mm -hmm. And of course, when the kids try to articulate what they mean by that, it's thank you, God, for this good thing. And thank you, God, for this good thing. And thank you, God, for this good thing. And in the back of my mind ev- And eventually I really want to teach them like, no, thank you. God for everything is thank you for everything. Right. Thank you for the bad things. Thank you for the yep. hard things. Thank you for mm-hmm. the ways you are present in these difficult situations. And thank you for how you will redeem them and you will make us better people through them. So it's Yeah. Thank you, God, for everything. But it's so scary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's incredibly beautiful and powerful that you're that's the prayer of the family. And as they mature, that you're going to be able to talk about that because. Yeah. So Billy got mad at you today in school. So how is that a part of thanking God for every, you know, just to be able to ask that question of young minds and and let them grapple that uh, faith is not uh, a plate of bonbons that's just handed to you every day, but you need to look around your own heart and you need to look around beyond your body and see what's going on in the world. And, where and how God is working through joy and pain and sorrow in the midst of all that and ask how do I participate in that journey Mm
0: -hmm. but yeah it can it can also be really this topic can also be really hard because you know it's you've talked about before you've written about before like in the moment when someone loses a child or loses their parent or whatever the horrible tragedy is, it's probably not appropriate to say like, you know, all, everything happens for a reason, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not, that is not helpful. But at the same time,
1: at least not in my brain, it's not. Maybe in yes. some theological circles oh. it is, but
0: no, everyone I've ever heard talk about some Christian coming up and telling them that has just been pissed off and hurt by it. Yeah. So i yeah, yeah I'm going to go ahead and say I'm this. not
1: a violent person at all, but the thing yeah. that always <laughs> comes to my brain is I just want to slap them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: With a very loving, hey, wake up. Right. And realize what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So, despite that, despite the fact that right off the bat, not helpful, um, there's also, there are also times when it's like, okay, how do we, the question they're asking is essentially like, how is the problem of pain? Like, how can God be a good God if God allows evil to happen? If mm-hmm. this horrible stuff is happening to me? Um, and I don't know. Um, Like, uh, my friend who is experiencing difficulties with homelessness, like, she asks me those questions. And, and there's part of me that's like, I, I don't know why I was born to the people to the parents that I had. I don't know why she was born to the parents that she had. I don't know why I am lucky enough to be married and be relatively financially secure and, and whatever, like we are not actually that much different. And yet she is experiencing all of this horribleness and I cannot explain it to her. I can't like, I believe in God. I believe God is good. I believe that God loves her and I don't understand. And so I do have to step back and tell myself just that, oh, actually I'll use different friends as an example. I have other friends who are going through financial crisis um, when it comes to jobs and money and just everything is falling apart and they have three kids. And my first instinct is to try to save them. You know, Mm -hmm. like we have, we have given them little bits of money in order to pay for this bill or that bill or whatever.
1: Fix them in 24 hours.
0: Right. Let's (laughs) fix this. Um, My first impulse is to try to save them. And, but I can't, I can't fix their habits. I can't make decisions for them as far as what they do for jobs or as far as what they do for childcare. I can't, I can't. Um, And so In the back of my mind i just have to tell myself like it's possible that god actually has something really great for them to learn from going through this experience and why would you take that away from them um so that doesn't mean be heartless that doesn't mean don't help if they ask It just means that you don't have to save them out of every little situation. It's possible that God could actually make them grow and learn through this hardship. Um, And
1: Let me push right there. Yes. So I could be cruel and say, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth.
2: Okay. Um,
1: But that's not what you're doing what you're doing is allowing space for God because why is there pain and death and sorrow? If God is a loving God, Uh, um, there isn't one answer for that. There are millions of answers for that. And so the way you treat your friend facing homelessness with love and encouragement and the way you treat this other family that you're talking about. I mean, they're completely different situations. Mm -hmm. And uh, so God might be inviting you to respond differently, which Mm -hmm. might feel um, crazy.
0: Or unfair.
1: You're you're, uh, unfair. I'm speaking this way to one person and this way to another person, you know, I'm supposed to be ethical. I'm supposed to, you know, I want to be all these. Well, you are. But the reality is, I mean, I can talk about what I'm going through right now. And, you know, it's even in the past three years, there are different seasons of what's happening with my body and what's happening with my soul. Uh, So that could even sound a bit schizophrenic that it's kind of all over the place, but it's not, it's just journey and listening and learning how to respond with God, Mm -hmm. Uh, not to God or for God, but with God, because God is dwelling within us. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing it just by ourselves. And we're not going to get it right all the time by any means, Mm -hmm. but come with that attitude of God. I want you to know, I want to walk with you Mm -hmm. through the joy, through the pain, through the sorrow. And it's okay. I want people to see my silver and gold filled broken parts.
0: Yeah. I had a, Wonderful, wonderful professor in college. Um, his name is Mark Jalovic. And one of the things that he used to talk about is just that idea that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to every situation. Um, and some of that can go back to the, the prodigal son, where, you know, like one son goes off, does everything wrong, comes back, and is still welcomed with open arms. The other son stays does everything right and gets angry that the bad son is treated so well because like it, that, that's not fair why he did everything wrong why is that's it's just not fair and so it's like you can keep um all the rules follow all the rules do everything right but still be bitter and angry and jealous or you can fall on grace and um And that it's not fair. Not everyone is treated equally. Um, And yet it seems like God responds to people and what they need, what that individual person needs and the situation at hand. Um, So that applies in my mind to my kids and my son, who is the oldest, is very concerned with things being fair and everything being equal specifically. And he'll challenge me often on like, well, that's not fair about I'm doing this with his little sister, but I'm doing this with him and their personalities are completely different. And so I don't know. I have to tell him like, well, what you're actually noticing, what you're actually saying is this isn't equal. She's not getting the same thing that you are getting, but she also doesn't need the same thing that you are getting. You ran through all of your socks because you don't put shoes on. And so I had to get you new socks. She doesn't do that. So she doesn't need new socks. Why would I get her new socks to be equal with you when like Mm. she doesn't need them, you know? That's a really silly example,
1: but... That's a great example because it's so concrete for kids that age. And for adults that would come out saying, you know, the children's message really was perfect today. I got the whole (laughs) point of the sermon from the children's message. There you go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so if we assume that God knows us individually and loves us and delights in us as individuals, why would God treat us exactly the same? So we don't, we don't all need the same things. Right. That's that's kind of where I'm at in my faith journey right now, kind of opening up to those sorts of ideas, which I think is is weird when you're when you're really young and where you're really young in your faith. It's kind of like when you're in elementary school and you learn grammar rules, like everything is concrete. Everything is in a little box. You have to learn the rules perfectly. Mm. And then once you, when you like get to college, you realize that, Oh, these rules aren't as concrete as you thought. Maybe (laughs) God, maybe God doesn't fit inside this perfect little box that we thought. Maybe God doesn't operate exactly the way we thought God did. Maybe it's bigger than that
1: right and maybe god didn't change but things changed because people right. freak out if you say god change right. and i say well god responds to situations differently just like we're called to respond differently
0: and i don't think that god changes at all i think right. how we think about god changes yes over time yeah it's fun
1: yeah, these will be good things to explore with each other and other people. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll kind of end by saying I think relationships could be much more healthy uh, and happy and perfect if everybody spoke and thought and acted in the exact same way that I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh.
1: You know, when you look at Enneagram and various other things of, oh, you mean people look at this differently than I do? (laughs) The world would be so much easier if everybody was a seven.
0: (laughs) and a
1: a healthy seven
0: (laughs) if everyone was a healthy seven so sevens when they're not healthy turn into ones yeah ones are very cranky
1: so (laughs) so you know yeah healthy sevens if everybody was a healthy seven there's so much joy so
0: much i always think so my husband's a seven and so i always imagine him like uh, when he's doing well, he's, he's a puppy and his tail is just like wagging all the time. Like that's, that's what I imagine, um, for sevens. So
2: yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. So there's the teaser. Nice. So I'm looking forward to the journey, uh, ahead of us in the next few months. Yay. Cool. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for a different kind of walk until next time. Live well.